Father, we just thank you so much for this time. And Lord, our heart's desire is that you would bless us. God, I have a very special prayer request in the midst of all these other prayer requests. And that is today, Lord, you would apply the balm of Gilead. We pray for healing to take place today. We ask that the Holy Spirit would be present. And thank you, Lord, that the name you've given to the Holy Spirit is the Comforter, because that's what he does. And so, Lord, send the Holy Spirit, the great Comforter, to bless us, to invigorate us, to empower us, that by the time we leave the service today, we know you have spoken to us personally. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, what is the name of the sermon today? Healing the land. That's exactly right. Healing the land. Now, I'm going to tell you a very interesting story. True story took place. Um, one day I was out in nature. Uh, Indian people do go to nature, right? And so I was out in nature, and I was out hiking, and I was in this very rocky area where nothing was apparently growing. And so as I was walking around in this rocky area, thinking to myself, this isn't really delightful. I want to go to a place where there's more green, where you can see trees that are growing and you can see some wildlife there. But I was in this really rocky area. And as I was passing and going through this really rocky area, all of a sudden I came upon this cavern. And as I looked into that cavern, you know what I saw? It shocked me. What I actually saw was green grass at the bottom of this cavern. And there was trees at the bottom of this cavern. And there was wildlife feeding at the bottom of this cavern. And it blew me away because I thought to myself, wait a minute, here I've been looking for something else and I'm walking around in this really rocky area and here when I finally stop and I look, I discover a very lush area. It was this small parcel that was located there. It was quite strange. But I never forgot as I was looking at that site, all of a sudden a Bible lesson came to me. The Bible lesson was this. Many times when we read the scriptures, we'll read the New Testament, even the uh, Old Testament, we oftentimes pass by stories that seem of no benefit to us. It may seem like rocky ground. And so we'll just pass it by, we'll just peruse by, and we'll think to ourselves, well, that's just Old Testament teaching. There's really nothing beneficial for me there. Something strange was going on with the laws or judgments. And so we'll look at some of these stories and we'll think to ourselves, yeah, I'm just going to go read something else like the book of Psalms today. Have you been there before? Ladies and gentlemen, what, what, what you will discover as we continue going on with this Bible story, and that is, that is this, that some of the most difficult Bible stories contain the most purest kind of gold. Are you listening to me, church family? That the most difficult kinds of Bible passages may contain the most valuable things. And so what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be taking a good look at a very difficult Bible passage. And there are certain nuances to this Bible passage that may not make sense when reading it, but what we want to hone in, and hone in on is the primary points and what God is saying to us. So take your Bible. We're going to 2 Samuel chapter 21. 2 Samuel chapter 21. This is a very amazing story. Powerful lessons that are here. It's more than just some 
ancient experience that took place in the life of David. Something unusual was taking place in 2 Samuel chapter 21. If you're there, please say amen. Amen. All right. 2 Samuel chapter 21. David had been king for some time. If you've been noticing, we've been covering a, a sort of a, a loose series on the book of, on, on David's life, 2 Samuel. And so David had been king for some time. And as he is king, all of a sudden a certain problem develops in the land. Take a good look at what the Bible says in 2 Samuel 21, starting with verse 1. Now there was a what? Famine. What's a famine, ladies and gentlemen? No food. Something's not growing, right? Crops are not being produced. Food is not being distributed. Now there was a what? Famine in the days of David. Okay, now this is very important. David had been king. Been king several years. He had been faithful to this time. God promised special blessings upon the land of Israel. It seemed the, the prophetic structure that brought David to the land of Israel seemed complete, but all of a sudden something bad started taking place in the land. What took place, ladies and gentlemen? A what? A famine. Now, a famine may not seem like a big deal, but here's the thing. This famine con continued for how many years? Three years. And David began to recognize, wait a minute, this is more than just some natural phenomena. Something else must be wrong here. There must be another problem. I never forgot, I used to own this Jeep Cherokee. I lifted it up on huge wheels. I like to go four-wheeling with it. And I would drive this Jeep Cherokee, and one day, the steering pump exploded. And I thought to myself, something's not right here. Opened up the hood, and I, and I would always make sure all the fluids were topped off. Something's not right. But as I began to do a diagnosis on uh, the engine of my car, nothing seemed wrong with the vehicle. It was quite strange. The steering pump should not have broken. Should not have been, been broken. But what, then I, what I began to discover was this. As I began to do some analyzing, I discovered why the steering pump finally broke. The reason why was because the alignment of the vehicle was off. And when the alignment of the vehicle is off, you know what's trying to compensate all the time? The steering pump. And what started happening was, because the alignment was off, because of these huge, gigantic tires, oftentimes I would just wonder to myself, why is the fluid completely being drained really quickly? So I'd put more fluid in, and I'd keep putting more fluid in. I wasn't really thinking, recognizing the alignment was off, and this was causing the steering pump to have to compensate and overwork itself, eventually to the place where it finally broke. So what David begins to discover is, wait a minute, it's not that there is a lack of good fertilizer in the land of Israel. It's not like they're good farmers. It was an agrarian society. Something else must be wrong here. Year one, year two, year three, he begins to think, wait a minute, something is strange here. Something else is going on in the land. Look what the Bible says. Now there was a famine in the days of David for how many years? Three years. The Bible says in Deuteronomy that if you were not faithful, God would withhold blessings. So look what David does. David inquired of the what? Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, in our life, when we have problems that keep reoccurring and we don't seem to understand what is the root of that problem, we need to go to the Lord. And what we will discover is that there is another issue here. And so David began to realize, wait a minute, this isn't about fertilizer. This isn't about farming. This isn't about nature. Something else is wrong here. So he begins to inquire of the Lord. He begins to pray, and God then reveals to him what the big problem is. 
what the real issue is. Take your Bible in 2 Samuel 21, and you're going to discover what the real problem is, why the land of Israel was not being blessed, and why there was suffering that was taking place, the food was not growing, and the blessings were not reaped or heaped upon Israel. 2 Samuel 21. Look what the Bible says in verse 2. Let's go to verse 1, actually. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year, for David and David inquired of the Lord. And the Lord, what? Answered. God was ready to answer this. Look what he says right here. It is because of who? Saul and his bloodthirsty what? House. God hones in on the problem and he says, David, you want to know why there's a famine in the land of Israel? Do you want to know why they're not being blessed right now? Because of Saul. Now let me ask you a question. Where was Saul at this point? Was he hiding out in some cave? Where was Saul at this time? He was dead. Now you're going to see a very inter interesting twist to this story. God answered and said to him, you want to know why the land has famine right now? The blessings are withheld. It's because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house. And here David is listening to the Lord. Now watch what else God says as he's explaining what the real issue is. Because he killed the who? Gibeonites. The Gibeonites were a particular tribe in Israel. They were not Israelites, though, but they had aligned themselves with Israel. Look what the Bible says in verse 2. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but were of the remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had what? Sworn protection to them, and Saul had sought to kill them in his what? Zeal for the children of Israel and who? Judah, I want you to pay attention to this. 400 years prior, 400 years prior, the Gibeonites had made a pact with Israel, and Israel swore that they would protect the Gibeonites. They made a covenant, and they said, we will protect you at any cost. But what happened was, the previous king before King David, King Saul, he in his zeal for Israel, not for God, and by the way, Saul was actually from Gibeah. What he did is, in his zeal and his zealousness and in his anger and his prejudice, he began to kill off the Gibeonites, murder them, seeking to wipe them off the face of the earth. And what happened was, wounds were fresh and open all the way till the time of David. Are you tracking with me, ladies and gentlemen? You're not falling asleep? Amen. I only heard three people say amen, so that means 300 of you are sleeping right now. If you're there, please say amen. 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 If someone next to you is sleeping, go ahead and nudge them. You have the pastor's permission. Okay, don't punch them, nudge them, okay? So here's the thing. Follow this, where we're going right now. The Gibeonites were really abused and used and hurt by King Saul during his reign. He wanting to show off his power and his zealousness. Saul, a group of people who were attached to Israel, but they were not Israelites. And in his prejudice, he began to mistreat them. He began to abuse them. A few of them were still left alive, but Saul had wiped out many of these people. And so in Israel, during the time of David, you had a group of people who were hurt still. And these wounds were so fresh. And what God was doing right now with David, he allowed another problem to exist so that he could lead David to what the real issue was. And that was, there was a fresh 
an open wound, and a mar upon God's character. Ladies and gentlemen, there are many people in our world today who carry wounds. Amen? I would say every person carries wounds. Sometimes those wounds are caused by a person's own sins. Sometimes those wounds are caused by other people. Sometimes those wounds are caused by members of one's own family. And sometimes those wounds go back generations prior. And what happens is you now have a group of people who are wounded, who are hurt. And what God wants to do and what he wanted to do for David and his kingdom, he understood something, and that was this. Unless this wound was healed, unless it was taken care of, Israel could never, would never flourish. The blessings of God would always be withheld because of this. In fact, this could have been a threat to David's kingdom had he not solved this problem. Rebellion could have started up later on. So David recognizing, wait a minute, there are some fresh wounds here. I need to deal with this problem. By the way, was David responsible for this problem, yes or no? Yes or no? Was he responsible? Did he cause these wounds? No. Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes God will call you to be part of healing of other people's wounds. Let's continue with this story. Verse 3, then David said to the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? And, what shall I, and with what shall I make atonement that you may bless the what? Inheritance of God. And the Gibeonites said to him, we will have no silver or gold from Saul or from his house, nor shall you kill any man in Israel for us. Now I want you to pay attention to this. David then says, wait a minute, I'm going to go to the Gibeonites, those who are left over. And he says to them, look. Hey, a great tragedy took place. You have been wronged. You have been wronged. You tell me how I shall make atonement for what Saul did for you. You know what's interesting? During the Rwandan genocide, when the Hutus were killing off the Tutsis, what happened was you now actually had an entire group of people who were responsible for the murderous rampage, I mean, they were responsible for a murderous rampage and causing the death of hundreds of thousands of Tutsis. And the difficult part was how they were to try these kinds of people. And so even just in the last 10 years, the courts, the world courts have been struggling to deal with these issues. How do we try these groups of people? Here they are, these people are being, not only by their churches, by their government, by their leaders, were being coaxed, go murder this tribe of people. How do you deal with that? In fact, during World War II, or after World War II, when many of the Nazi leaders were found in Argentina and brought to trial during the Nuremberg trials, a world court took place where they were trying these people. And do you know what the excuse was of those Nazi leaders? They said this, we are only following the laws of the land. We're just doing what our leaders told us to do. If we did not do these things, we would be put to death. Now, ladies and gentlemen, how would you try somebody like that? Oh, you can raise your hand. How would you try somebody like that? Jose? What? I can't hear you. What? 
Very harshly, okay? But you need a reason to try these people, though. If their excuse was, we're just doing the, what the laws of the land told us to do, what our leaders told us to do, what our government told us to do, even what the Roman church was telling us to do. But they will say to you, wait a minute, we're just doing what our nation told us to do, and that's morally right to follow the laws of the land. Yes. Okay. Anybody else? So you really don't have a case against the Nazis, do you? Vitelli. Very good. Did you know those, those lawyers, those prosecutors, and those judges, you know how they went about the case? They realized they could not try these people based upon their own laws because they were essentially innocent based on their own laws. You know what they had to do? They had to invoke a special kind of thing in the courts of justice, and it was this concept of a higher law. They invoked a higher law. And they were able to try them. And what they were trying was the society itself. And so here you have King Saul. He had wiped out, almost wiped out all the Gibeonites. He was just doing what he thought was right. The Israelites didn't really care. And by the way, this story is not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. You want to know why? Because it almost implies that Saul might have been doing this secretly. And so here's the situation, the dilemma David is facing. God is trying to help him understand something. David then goes to the Gibeonites and say, David, uh, he says, King Saul almost wiped out everybody in your tribe. You tell me how I, as the new king, can make this right for you. How shall I make atonement? And do you know what their response was? Their response was, it's not about money, David. We don't want money. This isn't about us getting some treasure from Saul's house. It was never about this. And then they say, we don't even want revenge. We do not want revenge. By the way, does anybody know the difference between revenge and justice? Fairness. Fairness, okay. Some people might call the revenge fairness. What is the difference between revenge and fairness, or revenge and justice? Revenge is selfish. Justice is by the law. Okay, anybody else? What is the difference between revenge and justice? Anybody have any other definition? Hmm, interesting. I'm going to read you five quick differences. And by the way, we're heading towards something, so hang on, okay? Five differences between revenge and justice. Here they are. You can write this down. Revenge is predominantly emotional. Justice is primarily rational. It doesn't mean there's not emotion in justice. It, just mean, it does mean that it's primarily rational. Now I'm going to continue. Revenge is by nature personal, like Dan said. Justice is impersonal, impartial, and both a social and legal phenomenon. Here's another definition. Revenge is an act of vindic vindictiveness, justice of vindication. Revenge is about cycles. Justice is about closure. Revenge is about retaliation, and justice is about restoring balance. Ladies and gentlemen, were these Gibeonites wanting revenge, yes or no? No. Could they have taken this as an opportunity to want revenge, yes or no? They could have, right? And you know what their response was? Look, hey, we don't want money, and they could have asked for money. They said, we don't, we don't even want revenge. We're not asking for a particular person. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to understand something. God was now vindicating the Gibeonites before Israel. 
But he knew that they were safe for this vindication. So now God was standing up for Israel and he was holding back the blessings. And what started taking place was this famine. And this famine was leading David to understand something and that was there was a group of people who were hurt by the previous king's reign. And unless this problem was not dealt with, it would eventually fester and cause cancer for the entire group or the entire land of Israel. Ladies and gentlemen, there are wounds in our lives. There are wounds in our church today. And unless these wounds are healed, the blessings will be with withheld. God is well aware of the person who offended you. Amen? He's well aware of the person you offended. Amen? But you know what God is more concerned about? He is concerned about your character during this process. And what he wants to do is refine you. And so for these Gibeonites who had gone through so much pain, so many wounds, God was now seeking to bless them, and in doing so, he would bless all of Israel. Every one of us carries wounds. And what God wants to do is heal those wounds. If we have offended somebody, ladies and gentlemen, we must do everything in that power to see that there is a restoration. I love what Ellen White says right here. It's very powerful. She says this, one of Christ's last commands to his disciples was what? Love one another as I have loved you. John 13, verse 34. Do we obey this command or are we indulging sharp, unchristlike traits of character? If we have in any way grieved or wounded others, it is our duty to confess our fault and seek for what? Reconciliation. This is an essential preparation that we may come to God before God in faith to what? Ask for his what? Blessings. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have wronged something, somebody, and God is not giving you peace about it, you have a duty to go to that person and ask for forgiveness. Now, I shared this story years ago, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to share it again. What you guys don't know about Pastor Anel is that Pastor Anel was a big thief. An amoral thief. Do you know what I mean by that? I had no morals. When I stopped going to the Hindu temple on Sundays and I was still exploring Christianity, I felt myself under no obligation to any law or any religion. And what I began to do is I began to steal. I stole from the work that I, I worked at. It was a retail store. Oftentimes I would have my friends, I would mark down, mark down items, I would send my friends to go purchase the item at my cash register, and then what I would do is, I would take that receipt and that item that was then stored in my car trunk, and I would go to another retail store, and I would be able to return it at full value. I did this multiple times. I know some of you are gasping right now. I also stole from my own family. I would go visit my relatives at their liquor stores, Indians own liquor stores, it's true, I'll admit that. And what I did was, oftentimes I would go to this liquor store, and while I was talking with him, I mean I was a good thief, okay, if there's anybody can call it a good thief, I would reach in the back of the cash register, and with my right hand I would be able to talk to him 
confuse him, disorient him, or distract him, and open up the cash register and pull out money. I stole $3,000 from him. I stole a lot of money from a lot of people. But when I became a Christian, I totally believe God forgave me. Amen? Amen? God forgave me. And God knew where I was at at that time. Then when I was going to college, all of a sudden, a conviction started hitting me. And this was the worst kind of conviction. The conviction that began to enter into my mind was this. What about the people you hurt? And then I would just escape that conviction. I'd go out to the farm, and I'd be farming, and the thought would come back, what about those convictions? What about those people? I'd hear the teacher talking and writing. He'd be writing, what about those people you stole from, Anel? And so I would constantly be seeing and hearing this, and the conviction started settling in my heart. I have forgiven you, but you have not righted those wrongs that you've made against those people. I wrestled with it one whole night, praying. I realized I had hurt these people, and I kept arguing with God. I said, God, they don't even know. <laughs> it's no big deal. They don't even know. But God says, I know. And so what happened was that I, I finally, I finally, one morning, I woke up 4 a.m., and I said, you know what, God? I just need to do this. I know I'm going to lose reputation with my family. I know my own family is going to be embarrassed when they found out their son, who's studying to become a minister, was a thief. And so can you imagine all the consequences if people find this out about you? So what happened was, after that morning, I made that decision. I opened up my Bible, and you know what I read that really empowered me after I made that decision? The Bible says that Jesus, when he was being decided by Pilate, Pilate picked Barabbas to be released, and the Bible says Barabbas was a thief. And right then and there, it dawned on me. Jesus took my place. So I made that decision. I called everybody up, and it was a painful phone call. And I made many of them. And even my own family found out because some of my relatives reported what I had done to my family. But I paid back every one of those people. In fact, one day, I even took a car that I had crashed, that, that actually hit and I crashed into a fire hydrant. That's another story. And what I did was, I started destroying the car more so I can get a bigger insurance payout. <laughs> Indian people know how to make money, one way or the other. That's just a few of the stories, okay? That's enough, <laughs> yeah, amen. God began to convict me. I needed to call up every one of these people. And so I called them up. And it's very awkward to call people up. I called up State Farm Insurance. I called up the executive offices for Kmart. I called up my own family. It's not because there was anything righteous in me, because I knew the Spirit of God told me to do this. I needed to make it right. Told my cousin, hey, I stole $3,000 from you. I'm going to pay you back. And so over the course of a year, I finally paid him back. But here's the thing. What was so interesting about this situation was that the next time I approached these people, they knew something had changed me. That there was no gain I was getting from this. There was no reputation I was trying to make of myself. They knew 
I had stolen, and now I was making my wrongs, or my wrongs right. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have stolen, you must do everything in your power to make it right by God's side. Amen? Everything that's possible. If you have wronged a person, God calls you to do everything in your power to make it right, unless there are safety concerns. Amen? Sometimes issues of abuse. Obviously, there needs to be a separation, and you leave that matter with God, and that person needs to go on and move forward. Amen? And so with these issues, with these wounds that take place, there are a lot of things that are in our lives, ladies and gentlemen, that are open wounds, and God still wants to heal, and they are preventing further growth. And so oftentimes God will lead us into a place where we're just like, God, how come I'm not growing past this point? And God says, I need to do some heart surgery. And he begins to reveal things, things from the past that we never thought was actually still there. But they begin to fester. You know, I'm going to tell you a very disgusting story, but it's true. One day I was eating a lot of food, okay? And all of a sudden I began to feel pain. I wonder, what is wrong with this? What's wrong with my mouth? And so as I continue eating the next day, I wasn't eating continuously, but I was eating, there was more pain in my mouth. I finally pulled down my lips, and you know what I discovered? A giant abscess on my gums. And there was a white dot in the middle. Yes. And everything good I was eating, pay attention, was now painful. Are you listening to me? Even good things became painful because of this. So I heated a needle up. I lowered my gum and looked in a mirror and I began to tremble as I was seeking to just pop this thing. Some of you teenagers know what I'm talking about. It's called pimples, right? Yeah. And so as I began to get closer and closer, I finally just, I was really scared, okay? I just tapped it. And all this gunk came out of my mouth. Ew, but it felt good. And you know what happened? The very next day, I was able to start eating food again, and there was no pain within one day. But you see, here's the thing. I was afraid to deal with this wound. I was afraid to deal with this problem, and it was getting worse and worse. And what God was calling me to do was to confront this issue. The issue was me. Ladies and gentlemen, each one of you has issues and wounds of sins and of other people that have caused problems for your life or you have caused problems in their lives, and these wounds are carrying you down. They're holding you back from growth. And what God wants to do is what he wanted to do for Israel was to bless them, but he needed to teach them a lesson, and that lesson was you need healing. You see, Jesus is not just interested in just physically healing you. Amen? He even healed a woman who, was, who had blood disease for 12 years. She had these wounds. She had this disease. And she was so afraid of people that she crawled through a crowd. As soon as she touches Jesus' garment, she's physically healed, but she was not wholly healed. And so Jesus looks around and says, wait a minute, who touched me? He finally stopped, looked directly right at that woman. She realized she could not be hid. She stands up in the midst of that crowd, and she says, the Bible says, she told the whole truth. And then, you know what Jesus says? You are healed. She did more than just a physical healing. You know what else she needed? She needed a spiritual healing. She needed a social healing. And when this took place, then Jesus could say, now you are whole. 
Many of us carry wounds of people who have passed away from us. Two years, or one year, or excuse me, right after my dad passed away, for two years straight, every single night, I would have this dream, a miserable dream about, dream about my dad. And I kept thinking about the, that final year I spent with him and the hurt I caused to my dad. I was carrying a bunch of guilt. I confessed it to God and I said, God, I, I, I made a lot of mistakes, but the dreams would not go away. Finally, one day I was hearing Mark Finley preach, and Mark Finley said this. He said, what you need to do is, if you're having reoccurring issues, reoccurring emotions that seem to haunt you day after day after day, he says, what you need to do is you need to confess that to God. Now, we're thinking confession is all about sin. Confession in the Bible is more than just confessing sin. Confession is about pouring out your heart with God and sharing with God the most painful kinds of memories that exist. And so what I did is, for a, whole, for a whole two or three days, I began to lay out all my memories with God, the painful memories and the mistakes I made with my dad. And you know what began to take place? I stopped having those miserable dreams. It stopped. God was providing healing for me. Ladies and gentlemen, as I said before, there are wounds in your own heart that God wants to heal, and you may not even realize that the symptoms are linked to that wound. There may be times that you were hurt by somebody and you just sort of suppressed it. Or there may be times that you have not forgiven somebody and you've just suppressed it and it's festered out into other areas. Things where you have uh, had unbelief about God's promises and he doubts and you've allowed those things to just be suppressed instead of allowing God to deal with those issues. Ladies and gentlemen, the Gibeonite, Gibeonites were people who were wounded. And so what David did, he went to go deal with the problem. He went to go deal with this fresh wound that was present. And as he dealt with it, ladies and gentlemen, healing began to take place. You see these Gibeonites, look what they say right here. Then they answered the king, as for the man who consumed us and plotted against us, that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the territories of Israel. Now watch their response. Let seven men of his descendants be delivered to us, and we will hang them before the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord chose. Now we're going to stop right here. At first we're thinking, wait a minute, I thought they don't want revenge. They don't want revenge. And I'm not here to in any way to, to help you understand why they went about this that way. But all I do know is they made it very clear it was not about revenge. And what they said is, give us seven men of Saul's descendants. They didn't pick a particular person. Remember, it was Saul and his whole house that had caused the offense, not just one man. But Saul and his whole house, they said, pick any of his descendants, seven of his descendants, and we will hang them in Gibeah. And there was this public execution. And all the Gibeonites were seeing this public ex execution. And as they saw these seven men that were executed, the Bible then tells us something quite strange shortly after. In verse 14, it says, Then God heeded the prayer of the land. In other words, there was this healing that took place, and all of a sudden, the blessings came. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand something. There was this public offense against this tribe. And so, therefore, there needed to be some kind of public retribution. And as this 
public uh, retribution took place. In a sense, as far as we can understand with just those written words, apparently justice had restored balance in the land, and the Gibeonites knew they could trust this king. And by the way, what's interesting, pay attention to that last phrase right there when they're describing Saul. Before the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom what? Ladies and gentlemen, who was linked to King Saul? Who chose King Saul? Which makes who responsible? Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to pay attention to this. You had a group of people who were not originally Israelites. They joined themselves to the tribe of Israel, and when God had chose the king of Israel, Saul, they recognized it was through his appointment, which meant what? This must be God's responsibility. And so as they were seeking to carry out this great deed, a really horrific deed in our eyes, we don't understand all the nuances. What happened was God's own character was now being vindicated before these Gibeonites. They recognized, wait a minute, this second king, he's far different. We can trust God again that we're not going to end up in the exact same situation. They hung these men in the middle of the tribe, in the middle of the land of Gibeah. And can you imagine what the other Gibeonites must have thought to themselves? Justice has been restored. And by the way, did you know that future, in the future, these Gibeonites would help build the temple of God? Did you know these Gibeonites in the land of Gibeah is where Solomon would offer the prayer for wisdom to lead Israel. These Gibeonites would play a future role in the restoration of Israel. And so what, what happened here is God was dealing with a problem he knew that it potentially was not solved, could be greater and cancerous later on. But he knew by solving the problem and dealing with it that the blessings could come. And these very people who were once seen as outsiders who had connected themselves to God would be seen and would be a greater blessing to the land of Israel. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants to heal wounds. He wants to heal the pain in our heart. He wants to deal with those issues. God is not just concerned with one aspect of healing, but a holistic healing, a whole kind of healing. And we may be surprised, and when we ask God to search our hearts, that God begins to reveal to us wounds, things that have not been healed, that have been allowed to fester. And because they have been allowed to fester, the whole body is affected. You have a responsibility. You have a personal responsibility to deal with those wounds. And perhaps you need to forgive people. Perhaps forgiveness is not in your heart today. And God is saying to you, if you do not forgive, this will only get worse. Perhaps you need to do, you need to go out and forgive somebody. If the Spirit of God is convicting you, you're wondering, why isn't there peace anymore in my life, in my, in, my, in my family, in these blessings, then you need to have a time of forgiveness. I'm reminded about one of my friends, Janet Page. Her son, Zach Page, who happens to be a pastor around here. 
He was a troublemaker when he was in the academy. I feel like I can share this story. He's one of my friends. One day he gets in trouble at the academy. And you know what happens? They call up the parents. And can you imagine what parents are probably thinking? Oh, he's going to get a whooping when he gets home. And you know what Janet does? She spends some time praying about this. And he gets home, and he's expecting danger. She sits him down. She prays with him. Then she apologizes to him for not raising her child better. She apologizes to him because of this outbreak and not making herself more accessible to him. And you know what happens? That young man is a local pastor in this conference right now. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to search our hearts more. We need to discover what the real issues are. We need to spend some time praying and asking God to reveal to us what's going on. And what we will discover is that we have walked and we have continued with many wounds. And those wounds are affecting our behavior today. God is calling you to take some time to search, to re-examine yourself, and you will find that God's grace, God's blessings are there for you. Even Solomon, the son of David, said this, if my people who are called by what? My name will humble themselves. Do you think there are people in this church who need to be humbled? Raise your hand. I'm going to invite those people who raise their hand to re-examine their hearts. Because the very first person who needs to be humbled the most is yourself. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. amen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from what? Their wicked ways. Then I will what? Hear from, hev hear from heaven and what? Forgive their sin and what? Notice this. Forgiveness of sin is connected to what? Healing. Healing. God wants to make you whole, ladies and gentlemen. He wants to bless you. He wants you to grow, to bear the fruits of the Spirit. But you must let him do the surgery. Even though painful it may be, you must let God do this mighty work so that you can be healed. The difference between a surgeon's knife and a butcher's knife is one cuts to heal, another cuts to hurt. But Jesus is the great surgeon, amen? And if he cuts, it's because he wants to heal. God wants to bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.